0: I'm Edna Salinas, and this is the Women in Tech Show, a show where women in tech talk about technology. Jessica Naziri is a tech expert, entrepreneur, and accomplished writer in tech. Her work has been featured in LA Times, CNBC, USA Today, CNN, among others. Jessica has reviewed numerous tech products and helped brands tell their story and market themselves. We talked about what makes a good product and why some products are not successful. Jessica also explained the intersection between fashion and technology and what to consider when building a product for this space. To support this show, you can write a review on iTunes. Thank you. <laughs> Jessica Naziri, welcome to the Women in Tech Show.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me on.
0: You're a very creative person in writing about technology and explaining tech products to potential consumers, and your work has been featured in numerous platforms. What was one of the early pieces that you wrote about technology?
1: Yeah, so I have actually an interesting story. I've been reporting on technology, like you said, for some time now. I started out in one of the, you know, the the, the outlets. I was first writing for CNN, and then I went to CNBC.com, and then from there I went to the LA Times. Um, and so I, for one of the biggest stories that I really got to write about was an app. That really started the swiping generation, the left, swipe left, swipe right. It was Tinder. And so that was really interesting because I just moved back from New York to LA. And I remember my younger sister, who was at college at the time, was on her phone continuously just swiping left, swiping right, swiping left, swiping right. And I asked her what it was, and she said, it's Tinder. And so that was like one of the biggest stories that I wrote for the LA Times. And it really changed our generation. You know, we're the the app generation. And from there, it just, it really blew up. And it was so exciting to see that, you know, now we're in this era where we're using technology to date.
0: Yeah, and like you said, um, that swiping left and right might sound obvious right now, but back then it was... Yeah, it was a breakthrough, I think. Yeah, little did we know. Yeah, and you have used numerous products. I was looking at your website and saw some of the videos that you've made with wearables, like rings to VR to phones. What makes a good product?
1: Oh, wow, that's a really great question. I think the first thing that we look at is packaging, even think about Apple, look at their phones, look at our MacBooks that we're using, you know, um, they really started this, this new, I would say, this new way to show products and it's starting from the box. So when you open a box, you want it to be simple, clean, and from there, it really goes when, you know, it's something that you use, something that has a good battery, something that tells a story, something that's sophisticated simplifies our life really um, and so a good product is something that they that they don't necessarily need to keep making new advancements in it you know we have luckily we don't have like a new apple phone coming out every three months, you know, it's like a year or two years and they have announcements because they take time with it. For me, if I have to keep changing my battery and I have to upgrade, that's a big problem for me. I want something that I know is good and it's going to take a long time for it to get even better because it's already so good.
0: Mm -hmm. And you bring up a very important point about the whole experience and putting concern We're emphasizing the packaging. And another thing um, that Apple used to do, I don't know if they still do it, is even the receipts from the Apple store were very high quality paper. Yes. And I've only seen that there and at Nordstrom. So all the way to the, even after you already paid them, they still give you a high quality paper receipt, right?
1: Yeah. And I mean, you're getting a high, you're getting a, you're paying a premium for that paper. I'll tell you that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In your opinion, what is the role of having diverse teams building this technology, especially the wearables like the rings?
1: Sure. So, you know, something that I like to say when it comes to any product that's out there, I've been seeing a lot of different companies that are trying to market to women. So my response to that is like, if you're coming out with a pink phone, or a pink ring, pink is not a strategy. Pink, maybe it'd be a strategy for something, you know, for breast cancer awareness, which that makes it perfectly great. But when you're trying to get females to buy into tech, like there are other colors that you can use to make it more profound and to make it something that's interesting and functional and fashionable at the same time right and so I think it's really important these days that a lot of fashion companies um, are seeing their employees leave for tech companies for example look to Apple they hired someone with a fashion background to come design their new watch they worked with Hermes and then if you even look at for example um Rebecca Minkoff, she's incorporating technology into her bags. So these days you're starting to see a lot of emphasis on female-driven technology, and there's a new market and it's really exciting to see where it goes. Especially for me who is such a big consumer and I love to try out new products and and tell people like, "Okay, this is good for, you know, helping you save time when you're at the grocery store and um whether it's app or gadget or whatever, I think that there's definitely strategies that need to be put into place because men and women do shop differently yeah. and they have different you know, um, characteristics when it comes to buying.
0: And it's not as trivial, like you said, as just changing the color. We have to understand other products that women buy and then build from there.
1: Absolutely. And, yeah. you, and you know, uh, women make up about 70 to 80% of um, spending. So they have a lot of influence when it comes to spending.
0: Let's talk more about social media. We talked about Tinder briefly earlier. And what do you think makes social media brands sticky? For example, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest are still popular, mm-hmm. while some have disappeared, like MySpace, Vine, and Secret.
1: Yes, sure. Well, I think the most important you know, lesson these days is there's a lot of similarity. No one is really reinventing the wheel. It's just coming out with really we've been seeing like, you know, um, Instagram copied Snapchat. Facebook is copying Snapchat. So there's definitely a pattern there. And while a lot of people don't see any value at first, they didn't see value in Snapchat, I I spend a lot of time on there. I you know, if I have 20 minutes of time between a meeting, I'll go and I'll consume content on there. So I think that there's a lot to be said about these channels where immediately you don't see a return and there's really you don't see such a business model just yet, but I'm really interested to see where it goes. If if we're spending 20 minutes just consuming, you know, videos from our friends or the people that we like and other influencers, that, that says a lot. I don't watch TV anymore. I'm watching Snapchat and Instagram stories. And so there's so much potential there. And for something to really work, user experience is super important. And although, like I said, I do use Snapchat, I have been using Instagram a little bit more because I'm on one platform and I don't need to switch back. Um, I'm watching videos and I'm posting, you know, uh, photos at the same time.
0: What do you think about the, comparison with the similar experience in instagram versus in snapchat
1: you know it, it's super super similar okay um it is i love the filters on snapchat but i love that my pictures stay on instagram
0: mm-hmm.
1: so now we need to find like a hybrid of the two
0: yeah and, and and
1: when i'm really well that's what instagram is doing
0: now yes with
1: their stories
0: And they're also, like you said, integrating some Snapchat features with Facebook, which is even more like an archive of your life, basically. Right. Yeah. So another part that you work on is helping brands tell their story and market themselves. What comes first, a story or the product?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. Um, And I really think it depends on what that, that product is, but something that often I see is when it comes to tech companies telling their story, they don't tell it. They don't, they don't know what their story is. They don't know how to tell it. So in my opinion, I think the story comes first before the products. You need to know why you're doing something. And even if it's not a good story, you know, as you're building things, that's where the story comes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, in my experience, I find that Often, when it comes to technology products, we're not good at humanizing it. We have so much technology involved. We're forgetting to tell those stories. We're forgetting the the human elements and why people connect and why people want it and why people should have it.
0: And also, why why you are entering a certain field? For example, if you decide you want to build a smartwatch, why yet another smartwatch?
1: Right. Exactly. Sure. And you have, for example, let's say you are building a smartwatch. You better make sure it's different from all the smartwatches out there. You know, mm-hmm. you're building it because you saw that there was no smartwatch that gave you the temperature outside and told you that you should wear, you know, a long sleeve jacket and take an umbrella with you.
0: You've evaluated numerous products and done and written several reviews about them. What makes a story great for a product, from what you have seen?
1: Sure, I think that you know any time. We're, we're solving a problem, uh, and then a, a product comes from that, that's a great story.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And so I think that's the biggest takeaway. I think it's important to, to, you know, say, like... Something authentic. Exactly, exactly. Authenticity is so important. And, you know, if it's not authentic, you, your, your users will know, and they will no longer be loyal. So I think authenticity is super, super important.
0: And when you're writing your reviews, you stay true to yourself and you write honest reviews. And I saw that this has led you to lose some clients because they're expecting a good review. Are there common characteristics that you have seen within the products that didn't get a good review?
1: Oh, wow. Well, you know, I think that's a really great question. Sometimes you'll find that we're, that there was really no need for such a product. That's one thing, you know, and so again, that goes back to like solving a problem. And oftentimes you'll find something that's not solving a problem, a new gadget or wearable or whatever, and they're charging a premium. And so that, in my opinion, is not a product that, you know, uh, should be marketed to the to the mass audience, and, and may, that might make it a a product that might not get a good review. You know, mm-hmm. or something that has horrible battery life, or something that was poorly made. Those are different characteristics of something that's not necessarily going to get the best review. Um, and and so you you did bring up an interesting point. I I don't ever like to give reviews. Positively to products that don't deserve it. I think it's important for my audience to know. As a tech expert, I try everything out, and it's important um, when it when it comes to reporting. You know, talking about the value and um, if it's if it's worth even buying something.
0: Let's talk a little bit about your trajectory. Earlier, you mentioned you worked at the L.A. Times, and then you were laid off from the L.A. Times.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And you started working as a freelancer. Why did you choose freelance instead of finding another similar job?
1: That's a great question. Well, so when I was laid off from the LA Times, it was during a period where many, if not most, of the uh, you know news outlets that were print and online were really still... At the core, figuring out their monetization strategy, of course, some really had it figured out, um, but I had moved back to l a and I wanted to make sure that I was going to find another job in l a that was really fulfilling, and I was still going to be in technology and still at the time, tech was big, but not as big to find something here in l a and so with freelancing, I had the you know the the flexibility to cover many stories um, and I was also often asked to come on air with local TV stations to talk about technology trends um, and and give you know people their daily news uh, when it came to technology. And so it was interesting because I, I wasn't really thinking that I'd ever go back to a full-time job because it was great freelancing. And then at one point I'm like, you know what, I actually need a salary and I really want to be part of a team. And I was on a podcast and I ended up meeting a founder um, of a startup and we just had an instant connection. And we created a job for me, and it was so interesting for me because for the longest time, I was reporting on technology and you know corporate giants like Apple and Google, but I never actually worked at a startup. I would report on them, but never really knew what it actually was like to work at a startup. I knew you'd wear money hats, and that's exactly what I did. So I created a job with myself. With the founder, we kind of figured out what I was good at, what I wanted to do, how I knew I could help the company, and it was there that I, I was able to put on so many hats, and it was so fascinating, I learned so much, and I met really incredible people, um, but the problem was that I saw that I really didn't feel like I was, I was making as big as a difference, as the employees who were on the front end or back end and that were developing, I felt like whenever I would, you know, work with them, I was missing the point. I didn't feel like I was on their level because I didn't speak their language. And I and, and I didn't, you know. Yeah. They they were coding and I was not. And I felt a little at a disadvantage. And I felt like they were the most important employees, which is really unfortunate. Um, And, and it made me question this whole tech space, like, you know, I'm not really here um, to, to talk about how, yes, there's a problem when it comes to females in the technology workspace. Mm-hmm. That's not a secret. Um, I really wanted to embrace women in tech, and so I decided to leave. I learned how to code on my own, and then I started my company, TechSesh, to really empower women to get into tech by using technology. I really wanted to tell those stories of, of other females that are making strides and making, you know, paving the way for other girls to get into technology. To so tell them that, okay, if you don't necessarily have a background in coding, you can do other things in technology. Um, and back in the day, technology was not so big, and all the jobs weren't tech. But these days, it's really relevant. And it's super important for people to know that it's not just for one type of person. There is different faces to technology. There's different things to do within the realm of technology. And that's really my mission to help empower females and, and really empower each other.
0: And you brought up a very important point of even if women don't code, there are other jobs, for example, product design or even marketing that yeah. sometimes because there's not a diverse team, they don't get marketing right or the products are too heavy. Like sometimes my wrist hurt from the iPhone. Exactly. And one of the things that I really liked about your work is that you also focus on explaining technology without the jargon. hmm why did you find that this was important?
1: Sure, I found found that this was super important because not everyone has a tech background. Not everyone is going to know what a megabyte is. Not everyone's going to know what a, you know, all these different words like cookies, you know, like I'm not talking about cookies that we bake, you know. There's so many different like UI like user interface versus um just all that stuff, you know, this is jargon that we can get into, but I'm not dumbing it down, and I'm not watering it down. I'm just explaining it mm-hmm. for people who don't know about it and that would like to learn. So I have a section called Tech Decoded that explains it so that people who kind of have a question and might be embarrassed to ask won't feel embarrassed because a lot of people don't know. I used to not know this, right? And so I learn, and then I write about it.
0: And this certainly helps, for example, when I go to stores and you see some people might be intimidated because they're being pushed to buying the more expensive model because it has more memory, but it's like, are you going to need this?
1: Right, right. Good point. Yes.
0: Throughout your career, from working in the LA Times and then you got laid off, freelance, the startup, you build a very successful personal brand. How did you start building this brand?
1: Oh, thank you. That's so great to hear. You know, something that really I think goes hand in hand is social media and brand building. So for a long time, I've been on you know Twitter um, when it first started. And so I got to start my audience from there and I was able to carry it along with me through the different companies that I worked at and through the different stories that I wrote and people I met along the way. Um, I just, you know, for me, I'm always on social media. And that's where you get to tell your story. And so when it comes to brand building, when it comes to a product, when it comes to anything, whether you're a doctor or you're a front-end developer or a VC, you know, you have a brand and that's yourself. Mm -hmm. And so my brand is really incorporated in everything that I do.
0: And what does your interaction with social media look like? For example, Twitter, are you sharing your stories and also posting replies to people, or how how do you interact with this platform?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think e- engagement is super important. If I have you know someone that tweeting at me, I try to respond, you know, within the next two to three hours, if not the latest, like the next day. I think it's important when someone reaches out to you to reach back out because that's the that's the brand that you're building, and those are your followers that are going to be with you throughout the whole process.
0: Do you think your personal brand has grown? Due to the nature of your projects also or Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that that definitely helps too. So of course, you know, the more you do, the more of a follower base you build. But it never ends. You have to continue posting, you have to continue to really set yourself apart. And so I always have, you know, a little bit of a trouble because how are you gonna have a beautiful feed when you have really like techie things Mm -hmm. and so for me that's why I like to build a beautiful aesthetic and I really am organized and I have a social calendar and a um, a content calendar so I really think about what I post and don't just post to post you know Um, I think that's super important when it comes to brand building and if you want to tell your story you have to make sure you're telling the right story you're not going to post a picture of the dinner you had the night before
0: yeah do you also think about when to post
1: yeah this is also super important there are studies behind when to post what not to post what time of day you know what day of the week the caption the color there's really so much psychology behind it that you would never know
0: and the reason i bring this up is because recently somebody also at microsoft an engineer asked how do people get so many followers and then one answer is they buy them, which is pretty easy to tell when they bought the followers. Mm-hmm. And yep. the other one that I, I replied, write something viral that adds value. and
1: Yes, you always want to add value. Sometimes you can do inspirational, aspirational, but you just always want to add value.
0: Let's switch topics a little bit before we wrap up the interview. You've tried virtual reality. What have been your experiences like with this. Sure.
1: I am a huge fan of virtual reality. I just don't think it's there just yet to hit the, you know, consumers all around. Um, I think that we're not exactly there and we have some, some more time before this is a household product. Mm-hmm. But the idea of putting on goggles and being transformed to a different, you know, universe, city, um, and it's just such an interesting experience. And I'm really excited to see. Uh, where it'll go next because it's still in its infancy.
0: What potential do you see in virtual reality?
1: Oh my gosh. I think there are so many applications. For example, um my my dentist knows I'm a you know a tech blogger. He asked me if I, if he had if I had a recommendation um to, you know, use it uh somehow with his patients while they're getting their teeth cleaned or something extracted. So um that's just something that came to mind, but on a, on a larger okay. level, level, something for post-traumatic stress disorder. This is something that psychologists can use, and it's a simulation of what happened during a certain event that really triggered someone to have PTSD and really go through, um, go through the motions of what happened in the past with a psychologist or a therapist, psychiatrist, to, to really um, do that all over again and help people uh, you know, with their lives.
0: So that's very important because in one extreme we have entertainment and in the other one we have health related.
1: Exactly. There's so many health related applications which I'm really excited to see.
0: Is there anything that you think needs to be improved in the short term with this platform? Well you
1: know if I'm being honest I think that right now you strap it on that strap can be really claustrophobic and another thing like if there's a demo and there are 100 people in the room and five VR headsets, we're going to have to use the same headset, right? And so, I mean, I'm a huge germaphobe, but, you know, just the fact that, like, again, like, it's a little expensive. It's it's not very comfortable to have on your face for about an, longer than an hour, um, and so there there has to be a better way of figuring out how to make this more accessible and also um, a little more comfortable
0: which brings back again the discussion of who was wearing it when it was designed like are there gonna be more designs for more head sizes or facial features yeah
1: only the feature can tell right
0: yeah last question what is a technology trend that you're excited about in the next 10 years
1: Oh wow um, a technology trend so I think that you know, in the past, of course, we had this era of, you know, apps. Apps were incredible. There's an app for everything. There's an app for dating. There's an app for calling someone or, you know, typing in, you know, your the address you want to go to, they'll pick you up. I'm excited about digital singularity. I think that is a full-fledged answer, but I'm excited for the day where I press one button and my breakfast is made, my My Uber is outside.
0: Oh, yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. So digital singularity is something that I'm very excited about.
0: Digital singularity. Yes. I hadn't heard that term.
1: Yes. So so it's just like all encompassing where it's all just intertwined.
0: Yeah, I like that. Well, Jessica, thank you for coming on the show. Sure. Thank you so much for having me.